Welcome to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. Get the inside scoop on how to help your child become successful in and out of school. As parents, we know that your child can sometimes forget to share the notes from their backpack. That's why we've launched this podcast just for you. Welcome to today's episode of Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. I'm LaWanda Tony, And I'm Helen Westmoreland, and we are your co-hosts. We know that parents across the country are doing their best to support kids this year, whatever that may look like for you. Today, we're going to discuss navigating the strange school year with a child who has learning differences. Almost 14% of kids in the United States receive some sort of special education services or accommodations. We also know there are families with kids who may not be identified to receive these services, but who may be wondering if their child needs them. Many families are starting to fall into a rhythm managing their kids' education during this upside-down school year. But for families with children with learning differences, creating and maintaining these routines may present unique challenges. Recent research from Understood revealed that parents of children who have learning differences are more likely to report that they're struggling with distance learning. So what are you supposed to do if your child is having difficulty managing new schedules? Or if your kid can't manage to spend more than five minutes sitting in front of a screen. That's right, Luanda. I am so glad to have Amanda Morin, senior writer and expert at understood.org, here to answer all of our questions. Amanda worked as a classroom teacher and as an early intervention specialist for 10 years. She has been working as an education writer since 2007 and played an integral role in launching Understood in 2014. She is also the host of Understood's podcast, In It, a podcast on raising kids who learn and think differently, and is the author of three books. She is also the mother to three kids, ages 10, 18, and 24. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Every time anybody reads my biography, I feel tired, especially knowing that I've added two more books to that (laughs) since it was written. I think you are allowed to feel tired right now. If that's how you feel, you've done a lot. So tell us, we want to hear actually a little bit about your journey. The bio tells us a little bit, but how did you become interested in special education services and what led you to be part of the team that started understood.org? I think I was always a teacher and I think teachers know that from the time they're very little, you're a teacher. I was the kid who always had the babysitting ring. I had multiple kids that I was babysitting at a time. And I worked as a summer camp counselor when I was a teenager. And then it was just the most natural thing to go into teaching as a career. And when I got into the classroom, I started as a kindergarten teacher. And I realized that the kids who really were the ones that I felt the most affinity with were the kids who were struggling. And those were the kids who I wanted to spend a lot of time with and really help them thrive. I then went back and got some certification in early intervention and started working with families and children from ages zero to five, kids who have developmental disabilities, who then transition into school and often have an individualized education program, which is that map of services and supports that they get to have special education and help them really learn like the rest of their peers. During that same time, I started my own family. As you mentioned, I have three kids. They're very far apart in age. I have a 24-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 10-year-old, which is kind of bananas, I think. (laughs) Right. And two of them were diagnosed with 
learning differences. So I ended up having the personal life that I had also chosen professionally. And you would think having that professional training that I would automatically know what to do as a parent, totally not the case. But it made it hard to stay in the classroom when I was also trying to support my own kids. I didn't want to leave teaching. So what I did was I started writing and I was writing for parents to really decode all of this information that comes at us as parents because we don't Mm -hmm. always know what it means. We're overwhelmed and we're trying to find the right things in the right language. And then when understood became an idea, somebody had worked with before, knew my background, brought me into the project. And it has just been an amazingly perfect fit in part because it's the project I would have wanted to see when I started this with my own kids because I needed and understood and there wasn't one. You mentioned kids who learn differently and having children who learn differently. A lot of our listeners may not have heard that phrase before. I know that a lot of us understand kids with special needs or special education, but I really love the way that understood or approaches kids who learn differently. Can you explain the word choices there? Definitely, definitely. And so the word choice that understood uses is kids and individuals as a whole who learn and think differently. Mm -hmm. Now, we know that everybody thinks differently, which is what makes the world really interesting and wonderful. But sometimes people think differently in a way that gets in the way of their everyday life. They process information in ways that can make it hard to follow directions, pay attention, read, write, and all of those kinds of things that can really get in the way of their everyday life. Some of those kids end up having an identification for school services or a diagnosis through their doctor. Some of them do not, and they just struggle a little bit in the world. So when we talk about learning and thinking differently, we're talking about both of those groups, because we know Mm -hmm. that some kids can struggle in school without having a formal diagnosis. And we want to make sure that we're catching everybody and being inclusive. Yeah, I really like that clarity. Thank you. Yeah, I think it can be overwhelming, like you said, when there's so many terms coming at you. So it's good to have that little bit of framing. I want to take a step back and actually hear how you are doing, Amanda, personally. You've got kids at home doing some version of distance learning. How has it been that experience for you and your children through this lens of kids who might learn and think differently? chaotic is the one word I would use, I think, to start with. (laughs) It's getting a little easier. When this remote distance learning thing first started, I had two kids who were still in public school. My son graduated remotely last year. And then my other son is now in fifth grade. Yeah, it was really an interesting thing. And actually, my older son had just worked out of his IEP. He had met all of his goals. He didn't need the services and supports anymore and was really excited to go back into school and advocate for himself and then school closed down. So it was really hard for him, but he's thriving. He's on a college campus at the moment. He's done a great job of going to disability services and talking to them about what he needs to make the accommodations work for him. Mm -hmm. And then we have this 10-year-old who's in fifth grade at home. We are currently in a hybrid learning environment our school district, which means he goes in person two days a week and has virtual learning two and a half days a week. And it's hard. He has attention issues. He has difficulty reading some social cues and some difficulty with language. And it's hard for him even just to make the adjustment between virtual 
and in person and knowing which days are which. And as a parent, it's been hard for me to step back and make sure that I'm not second guessing the education he's getting. And I say that with just all transparency. I worry about my child the same way everybody does. I think this is one of those situations Mm -hmm. where being a teacher makes it a little harder for me to step back. And I'm trying (laughs) to step back a little Mm -hmm. bit. Mm -hmm. But we need to be communicating with teachers, parents, especially parents of kids who have special education services, need to be communicating often, honestly, frequently, because we now have information about our kids that the teachers may not because we've seen them at home and see what they look like in this new learning environment. Mm -hmm. So that working together part has been something I'm really focusing on as opposed to being his teacher because he has a teacher and he has a good one. And what I want to be is mom and the mom who also provides enough information that we can really support his learning because it's hard. There are things that kids are learning that we never thought they would have to learn. Things like, how do you mute and unmute yourself mm-hmm. on a call? Or <laughs> right, right. who do you look at when you're on a video call? How do you raise your hand in a virtual mm-hmm. classroom? All mm-hmm. of these things that we never even thought were things to teach kids. And I think they're a little bit harder for kids who yeah. learn and think differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. There are so many things that we haven't thought of. I have a seven-year-old. And having to toggle between tabs, going from the Zoom to the Google Classroom to do an assignment and what it means to turn it in. Things that I definitely didn't think that I would have to sit down and walk through a Google suite, a classroom suite to be able to explain. I'm doing that. So I totally get that. Yeah. Do you have some other strategies that have been working for you with your 10 year old? Definitely. So one of the things that we have done is taken his online work and printed it. And if you don't have a printer, I think you can write it down as Mm -hmm. best you can and color coded it. So we have really worked hard with him. He chose what color is Wednesday, what color is Tuesday, what color is Monday. And he's gone through Mm. with a highlighter and highlighted the work that he's going to do in those colors. So he's not overwhelmed by looking at it all at once. The first week I did it with him. The second week I watched him do it. (laughs) And now we're on week three and he did it himself. And that for me was a learning experience Mm -hmm. to teach him how to do it so he can take charge of his own learning. Yeah. And we'll see how it goes Mm -hmm. this week. (laughs) So so that's one strategy. That's a good one. That's very good. Definitely. And we had to set up a learning space too. And I think that's important because the idea of him learning in his room where he has everything he loves to play with, so distracting. I think distracting for Mm -hmm. any child, but for a child like mine who has ADHD, enormously distracting. So Mm -hmm. we had to find a space that didn't have his toys in the line of sight. We had to find a space where if he wanted to stand up to work, he could do that too. I invested in one of those, I don't know what they are, like a trampoline chair almost. Oh, cool. So he can sit in that chair and bounce back and forth while he's working Mm, instead of jumping. Yeah. And I know that not everybody has that kind of space and availability, but I think even if you can just find a small corner, it was really helpful for us to find his own space Mm. that was dedicated to learning. Yeah. And now for a quick break. For over 50 years, National PTA's Reflections Program has provided access to the arts with opportunities for recognition, which boosts students' confidence and success in the arts and in life. And participation in the arts is now more important than ever during the COVID-19 pandemic. 
as art education is a proven way to help express our inner selves and emotions. Later this season, you'll hear from one of our Reflections winners, Julian Bass. He's one of millions of pre-K through grade 12 students who participate in this program, creating original works of art in response to a student-selected theme. We invite you to have your child submit their art with the theme, I Matter Because. Visit pta.org reflections to get started. And now back to our program. I want to talk a little bit about some of the research understood has done around families' experiences during this pandemic year. Could you tell us more about what you've been learning? Sure. So Understood did this research in conjunction with YouGov, and we talked to about 2,000 parents about distance learning and what they're seeing. And it's part of an initiative that we developed with the American Academy of Pediatrics called Take Note. And NOTE stands for Notice, Observe, Talk, and Engage. So it's a memory device to help parents sort through what they're seeing now that they may not have seen before or what they're just starting to notice. So they can start having conversations with the people in their children's lives, like pediatricians and teachers and their child themselves, about the things that may be different that they hadn't seen before. And some of the research showed that parents are noticing more than ever, that there are things that they didn't think about that might be a little concerning to them. Things like trouble paying attention, things like trouble with reading. Mm. And they're worried. They're worried about distance learning and how that's going to play out for their children this year. And it turns out that while 70% of parents are worried about that, only about 28% of them are having those conversations with their pediatricians and other people in their children's lives right now. So one of the things Mm -hmm. we're really hoping is that this Take Note initiative will help people figure out how to make sense of what they're seeing, figure out how to keep track of it, because one of the things that Take Note has is like a pattern tracker, and then start those conversations. It's really key to have those conversations, because if we don't, I feel like there are parents like me who feel really alone and really isolated, especially now that we're actually physically isolated in some ways. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things that we learned is that parents of kids who already have an identification or an individualized education program are feeling like they're having difficulty communicating with teachers more than they did before, getting in touch with them. They're worried about accommodations being put into place in this virtual environment because it's much harder yeah. to do something yeah. virtually than it is to do it when you're in person. Yeah. So across the board, people are concerned. And as a former educator, I think I would just say flat out, I think teachers are concerned too. Yeah. You mentioned parents are worried about accommodations. I'm curious, what do special education accommodations look like in a virtual or hybrid environment? Are kids Mm -hmm. getting those services that they need? The first answer is kids are definitely entitled to those accommodations, regardless of the learning environment. It's the law Mm -hmm. and they should be getting them. The second answer to that question is they also have to be adjusted to the environment to some degree, because Mm -hmm. some things that would work in person don't work virtually. For example, if you have in the education world, the lingo is proximity. Basically, it means you come closer to a kid to get their attention. It doesn't work as well (laughs) online as it does in a physical space. So 
you have to be thinking through and talking with teachers and kids about what's the alternative? How can I get your attention virtually in a different way? Is it, there's a certain word that I say as a teacher that you clue into? Is it I send you a private chat Mm. note through the box? So some of those accommodations Mm. can translate easily. Some of them are a little more difficult. Some of those services and supports like occupational therapy and physical therapy, they don't translate as well. And what people are doing is the best they can to provide teletherapy right now. Some people are doing in-person. And it means that parents and teachers have to be really partnered. And when I worked in early intervention, that's what we did a lot of is we taught parents how to follow through. Because when I saw a kid for 45 minutes a week, there was the rest of that week that the parent was then taking charge and helping that child learn those skills. So that ability to really have parents be part of the process. I think, to be honest, it puts a lot on parents and it's hard, but I think the more we can work together, the more likely kids are to get those services and supports. And also things like I wrote a piece for Understood on virtual accommodations. And what it did is took some common accommodations that are made in a classroom and mapped them to what they can look like virtually in various virtual environments like Google Classroom or Microsoft Teams education classrooms. Mm -hmm. I would recommend that if you come across something that's going to help the teacher, help your child, share it. Definitely share it. Have that (laughs) on hand. Teachers would love it. They would love to know what you're thinking too. I've yet to mention the trampoline chair. I may have to do that at some point. (laughs) (laughs) I think I need the trampoline chair. So we all need it. I'm going to go look for it. Yes. (laughs) So, Amanda, we created couple scenarios because we know that a lot of our parents have concerns and they don't know how to address them. We're going to go through some of them and then see if you can give us a solution to them. Ooh, it feels like a game show, but definitely I'm on board. I will see how it can help. <laughs> Let's give it a whirl. So here's the first one. I have a second grader with attention issues and I'm struggling to create a learning environment that's supportive but not too distracting. Any tips? So the first thing I would recommend to this parent is to really observe and see what is the distraction. What is most distracting in that environment? What is it that your child is having trouble paying attention to? Because to some degree, a tool like Take Note is really helpful for that because you can take down patterns. Mm Mm-hmm. Is it something that's happening during learning? My son, I realized he was very distracted by seeing different faces pop up on the screen when people talked. So we had to talk to the teacher Mm. about whether he could turn the computer away and just listen to the voices for a while. And then when we did that, we realized the next thing that was distracting him was all the posters and books and stuff near him (laughs) in his room. Mm -hmm. So we had to move him away from that. The second Mm. thing to do is to figure out when they happen. Is your child sitting for too long of a time frame and trying to find a way to keep themselves invigorated and energetic? And if that's the case, I would definitely put into place some brain breaks, which I love the phrase brain breaks because it's literally just giving your brain a break, Mm. but you can stand up, do some movement, those kinds of things to get yourself back in gear to sit down again and learn. That's great advice. I like that. And I like the idea of brain breaks. I think we all need that. 
Oh, I need them all the time. We all need brain breaks. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And there's science behind it too. It says kids who take two to three minutes of a brain break, it really just shifts what they're thinking about. It engages their brain and makes them ready to learn again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and especially if your child is online for a good portion of the day, many parents worried about screen time before, and now it's like, all right, well, now my child's on a screen for eight hours. So that's a really great way to help keep them focused and keep everyone in the family on the same page. Totally. I have another scenario for you. A parent says, my fifth grader has a tough time reading nonverbal cues and practicing social skills. Remote learning has made this even harder. What can I do to help? I feel like I may have written that one. Kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) What I would say is the first thing is to recognize that there may be some advantages to remote learning for social skills and nonverbal cues that we don't think about. Because Mm. when kids are in person right now, they are in person masked so you can't see all the facial expressions. They are farther away from each other and the teachers, so you can't actually read the body language as easily. So there are some advantages to the remote learning that we don't see. The second thing I would say is definitely speak with the teacher and make sure they understand that this is something that is difficult for your child or teachers if there are multiple teachers. And then work out with Mm -hmm. your child where they're struggling. Is it they can't understand the tone of voice very well? Is it that they don't know what the facial expression is? Look through and find what those problems are. And kids are really good about telling you that kind of thing. I think we underutilize our children as their own resources. And I think they're really good about telling us those things. One of the things that we have taught our fifth grader is if he's not sure to ask the question, I can't quite read what your face is saying right now, it's helpful to actually ask Mm. that question. And we found that it helps other kids in his class too when he speaks up and asks that. And I think in a remote environment, it's perfectly okay to say, it's really hard to see on the screen. I'm not quite sure what I'm seeing. Can you explain to me, is this a quiet moment? Is this a louder moment? Is this a sad moment? Are you angry? To be able to ask those questions so you can start matching it up with the body language. And if you also on the other side have a good relationship with the teacher to have that conversation, many teachers will start prefacing that. It's funny because my colleagues see me do this on meetings and it's totally inadvertent. But I will often say, what you see is my thinking face. And it's because I'm so used to doing it at home that I do it on meetings now. But it's actually Mm -hmm. a really good skill to be able to say, this is my thinking face, or I'm just taking a moment to process this, or I'm not making faces at you. Something just flew past my window and it distracted me. To be able to Mm -hmm. do that think aloud Mm -hmm. is something that you can encourage teachers to do too. Mm -hmm. That actually strikes me as a really great teaching technique for everyone in the class as we think about Mm -hmm. building socio-emotional skills and other things. And you're right. It's a little harder for everyone to do that if you're in a remote learning environment, but especially if your kid struggles. And there is this sort of window now to be more explicit about that. Absolutely. And I think that I would add to that, the majority of good teaching practices are practices that are going to help all students. You're helping the entire class learn things. Explicit instruction, like walking through things step by step by step, 
I also think things like feelings charts are super handy in those situations. The faces that have what the feeling matches up to. Mm -hmm. You can actually put that up in your child's learning environment so they can try and read some of those cues on their own before they ask to. Yeah. Mm. I like that. You're doing great with our scenarios. Here's the last one. My eighth grader is struggling with trying to stay organized and she's falling asleep during classes. She's trying very hard, but virtual learning has been tough. Any recommendations for what we can do? First of all, I feel for her. I can understand that urge to fall asleep. So I think those are two separate issues. The organization is tough, Mm -hmm. especially because when you're organizing virtually, it's very different than if you have a system on paper or folders Mm -hmm. or things like that. But I do think that there are ways you can set up correlating virtual options depending on how your desktop is set up. Your child could probably set up folders for each class and then drop the work into those folders on your desktop. You can even color code them if you need to. The other thing is to ask for printed materials if it's needed. The school might be Mm -hmm. able to print them out and send them to you. And I think that's important to ask for if you need it. I think the one thing about using technology right now that's super helpful is It has built-in things like planners and calendars and alarms and those kinds of things that we may not use on a regular basis. It's the perfect time to teach them how to use it and to set reminders for themselves. As to the falling asleep, the first thing I would say is check into your child's sleep patterns and see that they're getting enough sleep. This pandemic has upended everything. Mm -hmm. Kids are not sleeping well. Adults are not sleeping well. So making sure that they're getting enough sleep. And if they're not sleeping well, to talk to your pediatrician or healthcare provider and have that conversation to see how you can help your child get more sleep. The other thing is, are there times of day when your child just learns better? I don't know about you, but three o'clock in the afternoon is not my best time. I am dragging by three Mm o'clock in the afternoon. If there are times of day where your child is just shutting down, and sometimes when you see kids falling asleep, it's because their brains are just so overloaded, they've just shut down. They're just done for the day. It's probably worth talking to your child's teachers about what are the options for learning asynchronously? And that just means not in real time. So are there ways that your child can tune in at times when they're much more awake? Or are there ways that you can reorganize their mm. schedule so that they're doing that subject that's hardest for them, that they're tackling at a time when they're most ready to learn? And also, I just think eighth grade is a tough time anyway. Kids are growing, they're changing, they're tired. And I think just making sure that <laughs> you can support that the best that you can. Maybe virtual learning is the perfect time to bring back naps. I'm not sure, but it feels like it should be to bring back naps. (laughs) (laughs) My partner and I have actually started napping when my two-year-old naps on the weekend. And same as you said, we're sleeping at night, but just tired. We're tired. Yeah. 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 Well, you have a two-year-old, which is tiring. Bring back nap time. I feel like that's a slogan. (laughs) Yes, it needs to be a movement. (laughs) I'm in. (laughs) Well, Amanda, thank you so much. Your advice has been incredibly helpful. We're really just honored to have had you on the show today. It's just been such a pleasure. And I love what you're doing. I hope that we can make sure that parents have the tools they need to make it through this year. 
Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, we want to give you an opportunity for a final word. If there's a piece of advice or a resource you want to plug, what would you like to share with our listeners? I would definitely like listeners to check out the Take Note initiative from Understood. And it's just at u.org slash take note, where you can find free digital resources to help you start making sense of what's going on with your child and start having those conversations with the other people in their lives, pediatricians, teachers, even your child themselves. So again, it's u.org slash take note. Amanda, are there any social media handles? Where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? Me, I'm at Amanda Morin on Twitter. Understood is at Understood Org on Twitter. Understood has a Facebook page as well. We're on Instagram and Pinterest. My own work, you can find me at amandamorin.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Lots of resources and tools that I think all our families will benefit from. Thank you so much for having me. And to our audience listening, thank you for joining us. For more resources related to today's episode, check out notesfromthebackpack.com. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at National PTA and online at pta.org forward slash backpack notes.